Before we begin, I wanted to give a huge shout out to the folks at Amazon Music for partnering with us on this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. But more on this later. Right then, let's get right into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, finally, Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll are back. We have talked about them way too much on the Inside Line F1 podcast. I think it's fair to say we were borderline slandering them, but well earned because of their performances. But we saw them in action, finally going racing. And there's nothing more exciting than that. Well, apart from questioning the FIA's inconsistencies, that is among the major talking points of this episode about Mercedes, why they went wrong, about the races of the Aston Martin and Red Bull racing teams and why Fernando Alonso was so good. A word on why Daniel Ricciardo and Oscar Piastri weren't unlapped. That seriously baffles my mind. And also, just generally recapping the weekend and all the little hidden things that you might have missed. This, folks, is the Brazilian GP review on the Inside Line F1 podcast. My name is Somal Arora. I am the host of the Indian Racing League and also the voice of the Indian MotoGP Grand Prix. Joined as always by F1 Stats Crew, part of the WTF1 content creators pool, and now the official statistician of the Indian Racing League as well, among many other major championships. And of course, Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team and an FIA accredited F1 journalist working for the Viaplane Network. So, very quickly, folks. Race results, uh, we all know exactly what happened. Lando Norris won in Formula 1.5, but Fernando Alonso returning to the podium in second place. Sergio Perez got yet another F1.5 podium, finishing in third. Lance Stoll in fourth, Carlos Sainz in fifth, Gasly sixth, Hamilton eighth, uh, seventh in F1.5, Sonoda ninth, and then so on and so forth. But the reason why I say F1.5, as always, because there's no competition at the top. Verstappen winning the sprint and the main race. But let's get straight down into the major talking points. Clearly not Max, because we all know what we have seen from him. A tremendous weekend. But I want to talk to you about racing first, Kunal. Because you and Sundaram pointed out this really incredible thing in our preview. That Interlagos is a circuit with most overtakes. But still, winners only from the top two. We saw that same trend repeat. But the action, uh, that sort of racing clearly is why we watch the sport, isn't it? It is. And you know... One one thing which stays along with us with Interlagos is that it was built on land that was unsuitable for housing, but it's also built on land or it's now one of the most suitable circuits to go racing on, irrespective of the race format or the session format, you know. I mean, I'd imagine even if you just run a marathon at Interlagos, it'll be really fun to watch because that's yeah. just... That's just how the circuit is. You know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all three days were blockbuster days for Formula One, right? And we saw that in the in qualifying, the sprint qualifying, sprint race, and then the main Grand Prix as well. Yes, Max Verstappen ran away at the front, but P2 and below in all formats again, or at least the sprint and <clears throat> the Grand Prix format uh, specifically. We had no clue what's going to happen. I think the only prediction that I was trying to make for Sunday's race was how much lower will the Mercedes cars finish in the top 10? Because my goodness, they had a terrible race. But before we go to Mercedes, there's a lot more to talk about. 
Sundaram, I want to speak to you about the racing because your hero, Fernando Alonso, on the last lap, was your heartbeat pumping when you were watching the race again? Because I clearly couldn't hold it in. I was watching it at 5 o'clock in the morning, not sleeping, of course, the whole night. But I was laughing out of joy because how can you not? Absolutely. You know, the both of us missed the race last night because we were traveling and I had put all of my notifications off and one of my friends texted me and I just read the first line which said, what a mad race. And while watching the race again today, while watching it for the first time today, actually, through the last, I mean, until the very end, I'm like, okay, what's the really mad factor over here until I came to the last two laps? And I'm like, okay, now I get what he means. And then what happened on the last lap was incredible. And this is Typical Fernando Alonso, using his smarts, using his experience, driving across different racing lines, literally toying with Sergio Perez. I think that was the highlight for me, quite obviously, because I'm an Alonso fan. But I think we got very, very, a very good example of the type of racing that you can see at this very track. And we also said this last year. Brazil yeah. give, gave us a blockbuster weekend throughout, even last year, even in the sprint and in the Grand Prix. You know, Sundaram, you're a Fernando Alonso fan and people should know this because you and Fernando Alonso actually share the same birthday. So you'll have some karmic connection somewhere or whatever. But, you know, talking of Alonso and his different lines and different energy management, etc. that that he did, this was, I think, the second time in four or five years that we've seen a drag race to the finish in uh, at Interlagos, the last one was Pierre Gasly in a Honda-powered Alfa Tauri, or was it called yes. Scuderia Toro Rosso then, who outdragged uh, Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes, and that's when he got the podium. This is after he got uh, demoted and so on. So these drag races are also fun. Like I said, you know, any format of racing, sprint, Grand Prix, or even drag racing is fun at Interlagos. No, it was so good, and the margin, folks. If in case you're wondering. 0.053 seconds, which is 53 thousandths of a second. I think one of the closest F1 finishes ever. But for a second, we need to talk about how Fernando Alonso achieved this. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Sundaram, I don't think he's had any podium in the second half of the season, has he? This isn't meant to happen in any conventional way. No, he did have he did have a podium at the Dutch Grand Prix. Um, but uh, the sort of... yeah. That's a while ago. Though. That's like what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven races ago. Seven races ago, exactly. And and the sort of showing that they had in the last two races and compared to what happened with, with Mercedes, Mercedes went into this race really with a couple of good races. Aston Martin went with went in with a couple of terrible races. And Alonso said there was really nothing to look forward to, really nothing to play for in the remaining races of the season. And bang, he puts it puts the car on the podium. Mercedes, on the other hand, have a terrible, terrible race, which we'll talk about later as well. But that's the sort of thing. When everything really comes together, they had a very good qualifying also because of how the weather uh, played out towards in in Q3. They found themselves in a really good position on the grid. I expected that. I really didn't expect them to be this strong in the race. But clearly, against Sergio Perez for the last 30 laps, they were able to match the pace. And that was, I think, the biggest takeaway for me, for him to be able to kind of match the race pace with Sergio Perez. Kunal, were they really that good or were the other teams genuinely bad? Because we saw Leclerc being taken off in the formation lap, which, by the way, folks, will go in the Inside Line Parody Awards. For a fact, it genuinely will. But we saw that happening. Mercedes were nothing short of atrocious this weekend. We shall come to that in a second. But lots of key contenders for that F1.5 victory were gone. 
and suddenly when the circumstances did come about alonso really ha- i mean I, i think this is one of the finest drives of his career purely because of how easy it was to overtake at interlagos this weekend any other circuit would have been fine emola okay melbourne you can still consider it to be an average drive but here considering the circumstances that deserves a different level of praise altogether in my opinion i i think certain teams of course didn't perform like you just mentioned also what worked in aston's favor apart from all their hard work and them you know running so many test sessions for so many races right was that the temperatures were fluctuating when it was cooler like it was on friday and then on sunday he was actually they the, the cars were quick on saturday when it got warmer we saw that it wasn't quick at all in in the yeah. sprint so you know the astons actually messed up the sprint which pretty much nobody cares about but they struggled big time or rather they messed up the scr- sprint but they delivered extremely well in the grand prix format as we'd call it and you mentioned you know alonso's last podium was in sandford here's an interesting stat so monza to mexico which is you know the race after sandford was uh monza and mexico was a previous race six races Fernando Alonso scored just 15 points but in Brazil alone just uh is where he scored those 15 points it's his eighth podium of uh 2023 and and unfortunately Aston Martin has been outscored by McLaren <clears throat> since Monza which is since the last seven races so oh. yeah it's going to be interesting to see how the whole Aston Martin uh, Aston Martin story turns again if it does No, I just want to add one more point to that. Fernando Alonso has as many podiums as Sergio Perez this season. Take that. <laughs> Which is also the same number of podiums Lando Norris has, right? No, uh, no Norris has seven. Norris has one less. Okay, he's got one. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I probably covered. Yeah, wow. Actually, that very conveniently brings us on to Sergio Perez. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, Perez and Lance Stroll, two of the most slandered drivers on the Inside Line F1 podcast, and there i say for good reason because their performances haven't quite lived up to everything that we expect of them but i think this brazilian gp has been an anti weekend for formula 1 because apart from verstappen winning all the other conventional stories have been flipped over we have seen perez and lance stroll have good performances we have seen aston martin on the podium in the second half of the season the most consistent team in the second half mercedes has actually not gotten any decent points and instead of charles leclerc making an error on his own in a serious moment it was the car something clearly is up with this weekend canal something really interesting is happening here but fair play to sergio perez right after the race he put his hands up and said that yes fernando was the better competitor in this regard he was able to fight a lot better than me but i don't know if we should be happy or sad about his weekend because in a way it's a big step up from where he was a couple of weekends ago but it's still not up there with max and that's really what the benchmark is right I mean now the benchmark clearly is getting P2 uh is in the drivers championship ahead of Lewis Hamilton and that's what you know Christian Horner has been saying at the you know at the end of every interview and at the end of every radio message to Checo great race Checo blah 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 okay you scored more than Lewis so this 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 race and the result will give a big boost to Checo's uh you know point score gap uh against Lewis Hamilton he scored four points more than Lewis on uh, the Saturday and now i think the gap is roughly 27 or 31 points something some yep. rough 
something that 32 points right my my math was all over the place so now uh, i can imagine in las vegas we're going to run all the permutation combinations of when checo perez how soon can checo perez seal p2 in the drivers championship to to lewis hamilton but uh, lots of lots of interesting unusual narratives like you pointed out yourself uh, somal yeah let's talk about a few more of them for a very very quick second what would you like to bring up, Sundaram, first? We we have to talk about FIA's inconsistencies. We have to talk about Mercedes's inconsistent weekend. And also, Lando Norris's starts. You pick. We'll go to that one. I think the most interesting questions that people have surely has to be what happened with Mercedes' space. But I think we should also ask the, we should also answer the Danny Rick question after that. So let's start with Mercedes, shall we? Okay, let's go to Mercedes. Uh, uh, nobody has a clue. Clearly, nobody has a clue. Toto Wolf has come out there in the media and said that it has been their worst weekend ever. Ever. Did they not see Bahrain 2022 in terms of pace and performance? Sure, they got a podium out of it. But I get a feeling there is some bit of truth to it. I think it's down to context. This time last year, they were winners at this very circuit in a similar circumstance with the sprint. And what, how many points have they got this weekend? Only a couple with Lewis Hamilton finishing in P8. Uh, that that's hardly ideal for them going into this one. But where did it really go wrong seems to be a bit of a mystery. Some journalists are saying rear tire degradation. Some journalists are saying just being in the dirty air and not having a good qualifying. It, it surely is a mixture of them all. But that's an embarrassing one, isn't it, Sundaram? Yeah, it's it's really a mixed bag in that sense because quite a few people, even the drivers in the post uh, post race pen, they were saying that we really have to go back and figure where it went wrong. Uh, sure, there's a little bit of an indication that it's probably a little bit more tire dig. They were really not able to match the pace. I mean, at one point of time, when Bono was telling Hamilton that you can push right now, Lewis goes on to say, I have been pushing for the last five laps, dude. So no matter what Lewis or George were doing, they really didn't have the pace. Probably it's also because were they, were they a little conservative in, in running the car a little high um, because of what happened in, in US, in, in the in the Austin mm. race, uh, because of the sprint? Uh, they had probably ran the car a little high, probably it was a little bit more draggy, and that's why they were literally sitting ducks across both straights. Uh, but Tote, Toto's... Uh, comments of calling it their worst weekend ever or calling it the fact that this was a very this was a miserable car to drive i think it's it's slightly exaggerated for the fact that they went into this race really looking as one of the contenders they've won this race the last two times um and they they did extremely extremely well in the last two races as well it, it doesn't it really doesn't sound well for the people who are in the factory who have been putting all that effort and trying to come up with their grades and upgrades and develop this car it, it really doesn't sound well because it's just one bad result and i think it's only down to how poorly they were falling back in the uh, in the whole running order if you see the whole uh, race classification both mercedes cars were the only ones that fall that fell so back from the starting positions while everyone else literally made up positions uh, we had because we had five or six uh, drivers retiring let me put it this way the mercedes team actually had a very ferrari-esque race do you guys agree or disagree with that statement uh, usually mercedes has great races but this was the time and ferrari doesn't have great races as we know I think that was, you know, a case of them just going backwards, completely taking everyone by surprise. They didn't have the tire degradation in control. To bring that in control, they had a very, you know, big rear wing, which was making them draggy on the straights. 
I mean, Yuki Tsunoda was battling Alpha Tauri, you know, the slowest car on the grid was battling Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc. So lots of uh, lots of concerns at uh, Mercedes, all of them validated by the points uh, Sundaram has said. Will this derail their approach into 2024? Because remember, these upgrades they're bringing in 23 are all with a view to making a big step forward into 24. And Lewis Hamilton has suddenly turned around and said, you know, the kind of advantage Red Bull has might just take a more than a couple of years to lock in. And the yeah. only interesting comment, which I, or at least for me, interesting comment was when Lewis said, Brazil has some of the most beautiful women and maybe one race out here when I come, I'll find a girlfriend. Did you guys miss that? Huh. Does he not have one already? I'm surprised, actually. What, what happened to Shakira, by the way? It's uh, disappointing. I mean, if you've got Shakira with you and you're spending time, it's disappointing that you don't even give it a chance. I'm sad about this, Lewis. Come on, you could have done a little bit better. I know the hips don't lie. I get a feeling he clearly is. But we should talk about other impressive stuff uh, about the Brazilian GP. Some really interesting things pop up to mind. Daniel Ricciardo being one of them. We saw something interesting in the sprint race. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo had a really crazy moment with the racecraft. Now, I mentioned earlier you can genuinely race here at the Interlagos circuit. And Ricciardo found that out the tough way because he was battling Carlos Sainz. And, you know, we have DRS on the main straight and also after the center S's. So, in a way, if you pass someone at turn one, you make yourself susceptible to be passed by them at the end of turn four. And that is constantly what was happening between himself and Carlos Sainz. So this one instance, Ricardo thought, okay, this line clearly isn't working. I shall go to the defensive one, make sure that Carlos Sainz is on a little bit of a weird line that's an ISIS because he has to protect the place. And then I can attack him after that and get the position into turn four. Now, when that didn't work because Sainz had a better exit, Ricardo thought the other way around. He said, okay, I've tried this way. Let's go the opposite way. Maybe I go the conventional route. Carlos Sainz can go the normal route as well. And I just get a cut back, make a move heading into turn four and use the DRS. While he did that, he was going for the more aggressive line where Oscar Piastri caught him. And Daniel Ricciardo was just left scratching his head like, what am I supposed to do now? That line didn't work. This line didn't work. Where am I meant to go? Eventually, he did pass uh, Oscar Piastri at the end and got to Carlos Sainz. But it was too late by then because by that stage, he was just one lap short. Because if you look at the gaps, look at the pace, I get a feeling he could have passed Carlos Sainz for that position at the end of the sprint race. This was like, it's so frustrating because he's got such a good car underneath him. Actually, not a good car, but a car that he's making work so well uh, in the circumstances. But these sort of tiny little things are keeping him away or chastising him from getting a good points finish which is also such a fun micro story to watch. And then we had the race. Can, can you explain what happened, Sundaram? Why was Daniel Ricciardo and Oscar Piastri, rather, why were Ricciardo and Oscar Piastri not allowed to unlap themselves? And how does one find themselves a lap down at the end of lap one? That's just rubbish, in my opinion, honestly. No, that's a very good point that you made there. And I'm, that's, I think, one of the reasons why I'm absolutely gutted where Ricciardo and Piastri were a lap down and they were really not able to be on the same lap with the other drivers and kind of really show the sort of pace that they had because Norris was P2, Sunoda finished uh, sixth in, uh, sorry, uh, where did Sunoda finish? Sunoda finished uh, ninth in the race. So clearly there was a little bit of pace for both those drivers and they were not able to do that. They were not able to get, uh, fight for points. Uh, but the reason why they were a lap down was because 
Ricardo and Piastri had a little bit of damage on the opening corner of the first lap and after the first lap they went into the pits but by the time the red flag was called out they were still stuck in the pits so the rest of the drivers they had finished one more one more lap around the race track while Ricardo and Piastri were still in their pit garages and that's why they were a lap down but the fact was that usually after a safety car you would see drivers being able to unlap themselves at least for a lap in this case that was not applied and my only point being is that probably there should have been a little bit of flexibility right in this case sure you have your yeah. rules written down and you usually follow them to the t but maybe a little bit of consideration about what happened in the opening corner there was not one full racing lap as well uh, under green flag conditions so probably for at least that very reason probably ricardo and piastri should have been on that very same lap as the rest of the drivers We saw this in Australia as well where a couple of drivers were allowed to unlap themselves in the final couple of laps of the race. In this case, genuinely, if you're Ricardo Piastri, what can you do in this circumstance? If you've got damage and you're in the pit lane and the red flag is called at that moment in time, is there anything you can do about it? Nothing in that case. You've just been forced into it. And imagine, right, if the red flag was called in 10 seconds later, they would have been on the same lap, which means that maybe Ricardo could have attacked if his pace was similar to that of the ferraris for all we know he could be what p7 p6 something like that changing the entire fortunes of the team who's barely only got some 15 20 odd points in this championship so far so the I, way I, this is this yeah. way this has been executed really leaves me with more questions than answers about the policy of red flags and the way we restart kunal yeah and you know again uh, the sport itself has gotten so much more complex that policing the sport is becoming a challenge technically sporting wise etc and hopefully that's where we want to see the consistency and you know ricardo was so bummed because he said i could have definitely added he said i was frustratingly quick today right the alpha tauri <clears throat> was only now is just 7 points behind williams and there are just two races to go in the first 17 races of the season alpha tauri scored just 4 points but in the last 3 races they've scored 16 points so with the upgrades they brought in the last three races suddenly they are no longer the slowest team on the grid i think that's probably gone down to to haas but yes back to the point alpha tauri could have should have done more it's exciting to see them battling up there they're going down the route of using a lot more of red bull's technologies that the rules allow them to use but clearly the rules are very complicated and complex so the fi needs actually they need help in making sure it's inconsistently or consistently consistent i would say because you remember in kota suddenly everybody thought <coughs> that they were randomly picking up cars for you know plank checks but the truth was there was method to the madness they just never came out and said what the method to the madness was dear fi please come ba- come out and tell us why they were a lap down explain it to us like you'd explain to a 5 year old isn't that one of those simplest management uh, questions that we've you know all heard in meetings and the last thing on this it's been a year since they they should have actually clarified this because remember this time last year yuki sonoda also was lapped in the middle of a race randomly for this very infringement funny funny how it's worked out Thumbs up to that, everyone. But one last thing that we have to touch upon, a micro story. Lando Norris, bad start in the sprint, great start in the main race. Let's also keep a track on him and how he starts recently because it's been very inconsistent. Some races he's 
horrible. Some races he's brilliant. I think that along with Oscar Piastri's tyre management are two really interesting micro-stories we should track Kunal over the season. Yes, and Lando Norris is now just three points away from Fernando Alonso in fourth place in the Drivers' Championship. And he already jumped Carlos Sainz this weekend for wow. sixth place. So he's in fifth. Uh, can he sort of go up there uh, as the season ends? I think he's just going to be as close as possible uh, to Lewis Hamilton with all the mega performances he's uh, had uh, you know, in, in the second half since the Austria upgrade uh, that McLaren have had. One sec, one sec. Sundaram, you've realized something big. This is the last bombshell we have to end the episode on. Go ahead. Yeah, so Max Verstappen has won the Constructors' title of 2023. And no matter Wait. what Mercedes do... Guys, one sec, one sec, one sec, one sec. Celebrations? No noise? No applause? <laughs> what? He's the Drivers' Champion and the Constructors' Champion. Way to go. Hey, 17 to go, race Max. wins in the season, beating <laughs> Alberto Ascari's, you know... Wins, wins percentage record. It's mighty stuff. Nicely done. But you were saying, Sundaram... I was saying, no matter what Mercedes do in Las Vegas and in Abu Dhabi, he's still going to be in, in, ahead of them uh, in, that, in that standings as well. And on that bombshell, folks, we've got to end this episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening in. We'll be back with the Las Vegas GP preview soon. So stay right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. Before we ended, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Amazon Music once again for partnering with us on this episode of the podcast.